0: Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We're in a shift at MPC. Can you feel it? Can you feel? Can you feel a change in the atmosphere? Anybody? Thank you, Sister Judy. Pastor's been talking about it for a long time. He's been talking about it for over a year, telling me there's a shift coming, honey. There's a shift coming, a shift coming. And What's that mean? I'd say, what's that look like? Because uh, I need details, because uh, I'm, I'm going to plan I need details. I don't know. I don't know. I just know it's coming. I just know it's coming. And it's here. It's happening. I can't describe what it looks like, but I can tell you, I feel it. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? I think it's beautiful uh, to watch the entire church body get involved because um, I don't want to be left behind. I was telling uh, in a shift like this, I was telling Whitney today, uh, you know how sometimes you, you, when you're praying, you catch yourself praying something, and then you stop, you hear yourself, and you think, did I mean that? Anybody else? And I was praying. I've been praying the last little while about this. And I was praying a couple months ago, and I said, Lord, whatever you're doing, I want to be part of it. I want to be in the middle of it. I don't know what it is you're doing, but I want to be in the middle of it. And then I prayed, I was praying, Lord, use me, use me, let me be an instrument for you. And then I said, either use me or take me. I don't want to sit and watch it. And then I thought, well, now, Lord, you know what? I started backing up, then, Lord, now, you know what I meant. (laughs) I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. I think it's awesome to watch people. We are blessed with a generational church. And I think it's awesome to watch generations come together with one purpose, with one mind and worship God. We're stronger together and we're better together. Would you say amen to that? Psalm 145 and 4 says, One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. This is a generational thing and we need to pass it on. Joel 2 and 28, that familiar scripture says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. So in this scripture, Joel is prophesying about what's to come, and he said the Spirit of God is going to be poured out. It's going to be poured out on sons and daughters, so it's for men and for women. It's going to be poured out on old men and young men. So this is for people of all ages. It's going to be poured out on servants and handmaidens. So this is for people of all social positions. So if we want to be part of this spirit being poured out, if we want to be part of this shift that's happening, we don't have a reason not to be. Young, old, men, women, Whatever our social status is, we can be part of it. If we want to be part of what's happening at MPC, there's room for every one of us, right in the middle of it. I see in this scripture, I see three generational roles um, in the body of Christ, and this is not. This is just my opinion. This is not um, scientific. I think a generation maybe is it 40 years. But I see three generational roles, and I'm not going to put numbers to them, ages to them. You just decide in your mind where you belong. I see the elders, I see the middle age, and I see the youth. And again, this is just my opinion. And those are very broad categories, they could be divided a lot further. But I see the elders, the middle age, and the youth. And according to this scripture in Joel, the elders dream dreams. It said, Your old men shall dream dreams. So this is speaking of a prophetic ministry. The elders in the body of Christ, if you, if you uh, identify or you put yourself in that category of I am an elder, the elders in the body of Christ have the responsibility of helping to shape the identity of the following generations. That's what he said about they're going to dream, dream, they're going to prophesy. Elders prophesy, godly elders prophesy, and they tell us who we are. They tell us where we're going. When a teenager is struggling, trying to find their identity, trying to find their purpose, an elder can encourage them by telling them who they are. You are a child of God. You are bought with a price. Your body is not your own. You're a temple of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're prophesying to these teens and telling them, you have got a great identity in Christ. When a young mom is weary, a young woman is weary, she's trying to juggle the responsibilities of being a wife and a mother and a homemaker, an employee. An elder can encourage that woman by sharing their own testimony and saying, I've been right where you are. I know you're exhausted. I know you're overwhelmed. I know you wonder if you're going to be able to get everything done that you think you need to get done. I'm here to tell you you're stronger than you think. Elders prophesy. Now, I'm not saying, some do, but I'm not saying the, thus saith the Lord. I'm saying, give them a path. Give them an expected end. Elders tell the generations younger than them, here's where you're going to end up, and it's a good place. It's a good place. Your personal testimonies matter. If you're part of this elder generation, your personal testimonies matter, and I'm asking, please share them. Share them frequently. Being In this elder generation, doesn't we're going to get to heaven in a minute? I'm still in this atmosphere change. Being an elder, being older, doesn't make you irrelevant. That's what sometimes our, our our world tries to say. That Paul said, "I comfort you with the comfort I was comforted with." What he's saying is, my yesterday is your today. I've been where you're headed. That's what he was saying. If you consider yourself an elder, I'm going to ask you, please get a hold of somebody in the generations younger than you. Encourage them. Speak life to them. Prophesy to them. Tell them where they're headed. The next generation that I see is the middle age. And again, I'm not putting numbers to this. Y'all decide where you fit. The middle age, I think, are vision casters. This is where the resources are found. By the time a a person is middle age, they they still have strength they have stability, they have jobs, financial security. This is the generation that has the vision for how we present God to the world. It's this, this middle-aged generation. This is the generation, if you find yourself in this generation, this is the one that's between the elders and the youth. So it's up to this generation. All three of them are vital. But it's vital that this generation seek the wisdom of the elders, and give direction to the youth. Let me tell you why. They are the connection. They are the And if this connection is ever broken, we've got young people that don't know who they are and where they're headed. And we've got elders that are dying without us knowing what their stories were and what their testimonies were. So the middle age, they're the connection between the generations. So we need to make sure we got a tight grip on both sides. Find an elder and hold on to them. Ask questions, learn from their story, glean wisdom from them, ask advice from them, allow them to speak into your life and then find somebody younger than you and pour it into them, pour it into them. I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible is uh, before Gideon came on the scene and it said, there arose a generation which knew not God nor the works of his hands. Somewhere, somebody didn't pass the word on and somebody didn't receive it. So I put the, the, um, the job on the middle age. It's us that are middle age. Those of you, I guess I'm not anymore, but those of you that are middle age, you need to grab the elders, get that wisdom, get those stories, and then go to the young and keep it together, okay? We need to, we need to make sure that they still know the works of God. They, we need to know, they need to know the works of his hand. And then finally is the youth. Joel goes on to say that the sons and the daughters, that's youth, shall prophesy. This means to speak or sing by inspiration. And your young men shall see visions, that's revelation. So when the elders have done their job of prophesying and imparting wisdom, and the middle-aged generation has made the connection and set forth a vision and supplied the resources to carry it out, these young people have got the zeal to change their world and they've got the backing. Young people are free to change their world when they know they've got a solid foundation to stand on. I'm still talking about this change, this shifting that's coming and that's here. We need all of these generations. We need the wisdom of the older generation. We need the resources of the middle-aged generation, and we need the zeal of the young generation, and then we need to grab hands and run this race together. Can you say amen to that? The Bible talks about running the race that's set before us. Hebrews 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience. Patience, The race that we choose to run. The race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So we're running this race, but we've got a goal in mind. We're not out here just running I Sister Peggy is a runner. Who else? Do we have any other runners? They say there's a such thing as a runner's high. Is that true? Is that true? Okay, that would be a great goal. I've never felt it. But I think you have to run to feel it. <laughs> But we don't get out there without a goal. I remember when she was going to train for a marathon. She had that goal in mind. We're running a race with a goal in mind. It's not just a drudgery that we're out here running and don't know where we're going. Our goal is heaven. Our goal is heaven. But now we don't get to choose our path that takes us there. We don't get to choose the race that takes us there. The Bible said it's the race that's set before us. So God chooses it. God chooses the path. He chooses the experiences, the hills, the valleys that leave us home, lead us home. And my path may not look like yours. I may be asked to walk a road that you're not, you don't have to deal with. Some of our paths are rocky. Some are smoother. John Newton, he's the author of Amazing Grace. He said, when you get to heaven, you will not complain about the way in which the Lord brought you. There's an old song that says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Y'all remember that? Let's sing it right quick. It will be worth it all. There's words right up there for those of you that don't know it. When we see Jesus life's trials will seem so small when we see God what? All sorrows will erase. So let us run this race till we see God. It will be worth it all. Somebody asked my dad, when uh, we were caring for my mom, said, are you going to ask the Lord why? And his response was, it won't matter. It's not going to matter. When we get there, one glimpse of his face, and we're not going to complain about the way he brought us there. We're not going to complain about the road that we had to walk, the race that was set before us. We know from scripture that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. And I just believe I don't know that they, I don't understand everything about heaven. I don't know. You don't either. We don't know everything about heaven, do we? I don't know if they can see us or not. But I just believe that there's this cloud of witnesses. I like, to, I choose to believe they can see us. And I choose to believe that they're cheering us on. We also need some encouragement from our sisters here in the in the flesh. But I'm so thankful to know that I've got this cloud of witnesses in heaven. And I've got these wonderful sisters on earth that are saying you can make it. You're doing good. You're, come on, you're, hold my hand, let's run together. We're going to run this race together. And we're headed to heaven. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful for that promise? Unhappiness on earth cultivates a hunger for heaven. Um, I think the reason I'm talking about this tonight is because I've been studying it. It's been on my mind a lot. But it does fit with real talk, because we don't talk a whole lot about heaven anymore. I can remember as a young girl, we talked about it. I think and maybe I'm, maybe my memory's just wrong, but I, I feel like we talked about it more than we talk about it now. And I was wondering I was, I, was, I was contemplating that and wondering if that's the case, why is that? And I believe that with this prosperity gospel that's been on the scene for the last 10, 20 years, we, ha- we are blessed. We are blessed. But the prosperity message teaches that, you know, we're blessed. We're going to speak it into existence where th- the blessings of God equate or the blessings in life equate with the favor of God. That's not necessarily true because the absence of blessings doesn't mean he doesn't love us. So I think with this prosperity gospel, sometimes it's easier than not to get homesick for heaven. We're blessed. We're fed. We've got a roof over our heads. We've got jobs. What do we need? It's, I think, possibly in years past, think of some of the old hymns that were written. A lot of them were written by slaves that were living a life of misery. Uh, That song, By and By, When the Morning Comes, one of the verses says, trials dark on every hand. And we may not understand all the ways that God will lead us to that blessed promised land. That was a man that was born and on a slave plantation and died there. Had a horrific life. His only joy in life was looking toward heaven. And I think that we miss some of that. Because we are blessed. We are blessed. But I think we're not fully content, even in our blessings. Have you ever had that discontent in your heart? And it finally dawned on you, I think I'm homesick. I think I'm homesick for a place I've never been before. The scriptures refer to us several times as pilgrims and strangers. This is not our home. We're bound for a better place. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Then he said, Set your affection on things above, and not on things on the earth. Paul's writing this. He's writing this to the church at Colossae, and he says, so he's talking to a group of believers, and he tells them, back in verse 6 of chapter 2, he tells them to walk in Jesus Christ, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And now in chapter 3, he's telling them, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. I find his uh, wording interesting. He says, set your affection The you is understand, understood. He's saying, you set your affection on things above. So this is something that we do. We do have, as created beings, God created us with a place in our heart that only he can fill. So we're going to be homesick for heaven, but to set our affection, that's up to us. That's up to us. We determine what we love. So we have to set our affection, Paul said, On things above that phrase set your affection literally means direct one's mind toward a thing so if I'm gonna set my affection on heaven if I'm gonna set my affection on things above then I have to direct my mind to think about it I need to direct my mind to uh, study his word study what is heaven about what's coming for me affection is a tender attachment it begins with a mindset so is my mind bent toward heaven or toward earth have I set my affection toward heaven or am I so blessed here on earth that I'm, I'm pretty happy here? Am I too at home here? Am I too satisfied with earthly things when I have a spiritual inheritance? Am I trying to satisfy a spiritual longing with earthly possessions? It's easy to do or easy to try to do. Max Lucado, we did one of his um, Bible studies. He's one of my favorite authors. He gave an example of this. He said, take a fish and place him on the beach. Watch his gills gasp and his scales dry. Is he happy? No. How do you make him happy? This poor fish. How do you make him happy? Do you cover him with a mountain of cash? Do you give him a beach chair and sunglasses? Do you dress him in double-breasted fins and people-skin shoes? Of course not. Then how do you make this poor fish happy? You put him back in his element. You put him back in the water. He will never be happy on the beach simply because he was not made for the beach. And we were not made for this world. So I'm not saying we'll never be happy here. Of course, we're going to find moments of happiness. We're going to find moments of fulfillment. God is good to us, but we're never going to be fully satisfied. We're never going to be completely content because we were made for greater things. This is not our atmosphere. Just like the fish is only comfortable in the water, we were made for a different place than this. As humans, we have earthly dreams and plans. How many of y'all remember being a teenager and being afraid the Lord was going to come before you got married? Oh, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me. How many of y'all remember getting uh, being newlyweds and thinking, oh, Lord, don't come till I have a baby? Oh, don't, don't. We have earthly dreams, don't we? Nothing wrong with that. As a teenager, we dream we're going to marry our knight in shining armor. And then we're a young mother, and we dream of sleeping through the night. <laughs> and then our kids grow up a little bit, and our dream is, can I just get them through these preteen, teenage years without, <laughs> without broken bones? We dream of a new house. We dream, then we dream of a bigger one. We dream of a good job. We get that job, then we dream of another one. We plan for a vacation. We plan for next week. We plan for next year. We plan for next month. We have earthly dreams, earthly plans because we're human. This is where we live. We can't be so spiritually minded. We're no earthly good. We live here. We've got dreams. But all the while that we're living here, all the while that we're making these plans, all the while that we're having these dreams in this human body, we've got to remember, I was made for something bigger than this. I was made for something better than that. I was created for something better than this sin-cursed world. The Bible tells us that we're made up. we have a soul. Our soul has attributes such as we have a conscience, we have memory, we have intelligence. The soul is the real you. The soul is, we can't see it. But it's what makes you, you. Your body goes to the grave, but your soul lives on. When Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, he was talking about the soul. We put the body in the grave, but the soul goes to God. The body is the house where the soul resides just temporarily. So our soul is what's never completely satisfied. Our soul is not happy here because it's not home yet. Our soul knows where it's belo- where it belongs, and it's not there yet. The true home of our soul is with Christ. So heaven is our highest hope. Amen? It's the beginning of eternal life. It's the end of the journey. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. But it's created by a loving Father just for us. Heaven. Don't you want to go? Amen. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, John 14 and 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The word mansion there in my Father's house or many mansions is not translated to mean what we think of when we think of mansion. When you think of mansion, do you think of a big fine house? If you kind of got that, you know, I'm going to have me a mansion in heaven. It's going to be a big fine house. The, it's rather translated as a home that is permanent. Some translations call it abiding place. It comes from the same stem uh, where we get the English word, to remain. So when he says, I, in my Father's house are many mansions, there are many places, there's a spot for every one of us to go and to remain, to remain. Home, heaven is eternal. When we get there, it's going to be our permanent home. I don't know if you all remember, um, Pastor used an illustration uh, right after, in a service, right after we lost Sister Jessica and he had gotten it from uh, Francis Chan, who is a, an author. It is a beautiful illustration. He brought out a rope. Anybody remember that? We so, so much, uh, I, I, can't give, I can't do it as well as he did it, but it, this rope is just endless. And that, that uh, is our timeline. That's our life, our eternal life. And what we live here on earth, when it's compared, that rope is compared to eternity, our eternal existence. What we have on earth is about like this. And we spend this amount of time. We work and work and work so we can get right here. And then we dream so we can get right here. And this whole time that we're consumed with this amount of time, we're forgetting. We get, we're so earthly minded sometimes. We, forget, we get so obsessed with this small amount of time that we forget all of this. We can't comprehend eternal. I can't comprehend living without time, without age. But we're told heaven is eternal. And when we get there, we're there. We're there for the rest of time. The rest. We're told that in heaven there's banquets. We're told of feasts. We're told of singing. Uh, Sister, I see Sister Shelley when her uh, son Kyle was about seven or eight He was in my Sunday school class, and we were talking about the marriage supper of the lamb. And he wanted to know what we would have to eat there. He had food on his mind, I guess. And um, I said, you know, the Bible doesn't say what we're going to have to eat. I don't really know. Maybe it'll be whatever. I know it's going to be good. Maybe it'll be whatever is your favorite food. And he thought for a minute, and he said, dill pickles and beef jerky. (laughs) So I don't know. I hope not. But we're (laughs) talking... We're told that in heaven there's going to be banquets, there's going to be feasts, there's going to be singing. We're also told there'll be no more tears there. There'll be no mourning, no crying, no pain. Revelation 21 and 4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I think, and I'm going to read some scripture here later. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture here at the end about what heaven is going to be. But so much of it we can't understand. I can't understand a street made out of gold. I can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend a gate that is made of a pearl. Transparent gold, yes. I can't comprehend a, a, a gate that is made of a pearl. I can't comprehend all these, and we're going to read about them here in a minute. I can't comprehend all these beautiful jewels. I can't comprehend eternal life. I can't comprehend all that waits. And because of that, because of our human mind the Lord allowed us sometimes to know what's not going to be there because I can comprehend sadness. I can comprehend tears. I can comprehend death. I can comprehend sorrow and crying and pain. So he tells us, well, that won't be there. That won't be there. We're also going to know and be known. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12 says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know... Even as also I am known. Again, I don't know how this is going to work. But I believe we're going to know. The Bible tells us we're going to be known. Uh, When Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they recognized Moses and Elijah. Well, they'd never seen him. Moses and Elijah died hundreds of years before this. But something made Peter, James, and John recognize men they'd never met. So that makes me think, again, I don't know exactly how that works, but that makes me believe that we're going to recognize people, the saints of old, that I think we're going to recognize people that we know, but we're probably going to recognize people that we don't know if it goes according to it did on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't, again, I don't exactly know how that works, but I know I've got loved ones I can't wait to see. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says, But as it is written... I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Heaven is beyond our imagination. There's no way we can even envision it. I think even at our most creative, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue. I think at our deepest thought, we're barely scratching the surface of what it's going to be. At our highest level of intelligence. Still don't have a clue. Still don't have a clue. We can't fathom. How beautiful heaven must be. How beautiful. I find it hard. We've lived in several different places and traveled uh, in several different states. I find it harder, hard to imagine anything more beautiful than our Indiana fall season. That's just gorgeous. It's We've got them. Uh, y'all, just take my my word for it. It's beautiful. When we moved to North Carolina, somebody told us said, "Oh, you're gonna love it here. It's green year-round." No, I miss my trees. I think the fall is beautiful. Only a creative God could have created something like that. I think the ocean is beautiful. I think it's relaxing to to sit out there, stand out there, and listen to the waves coming. It's beautiful. The Grand Canyon is magnificent. We live in a beautiful world. And if in this sin-cursed world, we can find beautiful, so many beautiful things that God's created, how much more beautiful must heaven be? There's no sin there. There's nothing to mar it. How beautiful heaven must be. I'm going to leave you with a whole lot of scriptures. Y'all just hang on. Read them with me. John described heaven. Revelation 5, he said, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Do you realize how many people are going to be in heaven? Do you realize, oh my goodness, we can't begin to imagine it's a whole lot bigger than just us. Saying, they were saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. One thing we know that's going to be in heaven is worship. Worship. That's what the, the elders were doing. That's what these four beasts were doing. That's what the angels do. The angels cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. Worship is in heaven. And a Sunday morning, a pastor told a little bit about it Sunday night. I wasn't going to say anything, and he did. So I'll, I'll tell the whole story. Sunday morning, we were just having such a beautiful service, and uh, don't you sometimes just miss people? I thought of Sister Irene, and I got sad, y'all deal with this, I got sad because I was missing her, not just her, but she was the one in my my mind, and I was sad because I thought, she's never going to know my granddaughters, I wish she did, and I wish they could, you remember her little hand? When the Lord, the Holy Ghost would hit her that little, I can't do it. Like She, she was the most, la- she could dance like a lady and had that little hand. And I, I want my granddaughters, I was, that's what I was thinking. I was feeling sorry for myself because my granddaughters won't see Sister Irene dance and do her hand like this. And I feel like the Lord impressed on me. She's worshiping me right now. She's in my presence and so are you. And I thought, I'm never going to be closer to her than I am right now until the rapture. Never going to be closer to my mother. Never going to be closer to my children. Never going to be closer to the ones that we've lost. Until we're in heaven. Except when we're in the presence of God. Because they're in his presence worshiping right now. Because that's what goes on in heaven. So when I'm on earth and I get into his presence, I just can't help but think we feel each other. We know each other. There's worship in heaven. Revelation 7 goes on to say, After this I beheld, John's still talking, he's describing heaven. He says, Lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hand, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Such worship. Such worship. Revelation 19, he goes on to say, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord our God omnipotent reigneth. There's worship in heaven. (laughs) And then he goes on to describe heaven. In Revelation 21, he said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. we're going to see him. There's The Bible says there's no man seen him and lived. Not since Adam and Eve walked in the cool of, in the garden in the cool of the day and could see him. Not since then has anybody been able to see him, to see, we're going to see him. We're going to see him. Uh, that song we sing, I can only imagine. I can't begin to imagine. I like to think that I'm going to go in with the swelling words. I like to think that I'm going to have my, my voice is going to be in tune and I'm going to be able to sing a song. I'm probably going to get there and be a blubbering whatever. Probably going to be on my face. I can't, I can't imagine. We're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to be in the presence of God. John goes on to say, I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light. Now, this is the part we have to use our imagination, and we're not going to come anywhere close to it. The Her light, this city... Her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, and had a wall great and high, and had twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the wall of the city had twelve foundations and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof, and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, twelve thousand furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. I don't know what kind of picture you've got in your mind, but it doesn't begin to match what it really is. He says, he goes on to say, and the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, a chalcedony, the fourth, an emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, a topaz. I don't even know what some of these stones look like. These are the foundations of where we're going to walk. This is what we're going to stand on is some of these these beautiful. The 12th is an amethyst, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. I don't know about y'all. I know all this. I've read this before, but that just, that gives me chill bumps. That's where we're headed. He says, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Y'all bear with me. I'm just giving you bunches of scripture about heaven. This is where we're going. This is our promise. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are fateful and true. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. He followed up and said, amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Can you you get even a small glimpse of heaven tonight? Even a small glimpse of it. We're headed to that. That's where our race is going to end. And I don't know when. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know what we're going to face between now and then, but someday, one day, could be within the next few seconds, any time now, the Lord's going to say, "Come up. come up, we're going to be in the rapture, and we're going to go to heaven. Whoo, I'm ready, Are you? Are you thankful for it? Can we thank the Lord for a promise of heaven? Thank you Jesus, thank you, Lord, my) Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.